what we believe we believe. Why do I believe Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life? You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. You're listening to Telia's Talk, a podcast on being complete in Christ, hosted by Buzzsprout. In this episode of Telia's Talk, we will be continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and we'll be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian and in the life of the Church. We will also touch on a couple of subjects that have caused a certain amount of confusion and division among believers and the Church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Please join us as we talk about all this and more. Welcome back, everyone, and I hope you had a wonderful Easter and are enjoying the warmer spring weather that seems to have arrived, at least in our province anyway. Um, as you heard from our intro, we are on part two of uh, the series on the Holy Spirit. Laurel mentioned a number of items which we'll be talking about today. Yeah, and none of them are really easy topics to address in such a short uh, time frame. But as always, we will do our best and hope that you, the listeners, will come away with a better understanding, and that God will open your hearts and minds to the truth of his word. Absolutely. Last month, we attempted to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Jonathan Edwards, the American revivalist preacher and congregational Protestant theologian, summarized the Holy Spirit as the bond of perfectness by which God, Jesus Christ, and the church are united together. And he wrote that in the 1700s. In more recent times, R.C. Sproul wrote, a primary reason why the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit is because it is his specific task to enable followers of Christ in their quest for sanctification. In the early 20th century, with the rise of the charismatic movement and Pentecostalism, the role of the Holy Spirit became more prominent in the theological agenda and in the life of the church. Brian Welch uh, said this in an interview with Rob Flynn at the time of his conversion to Christianity. The crazy thing is I had an experience with something from another dimension, and it wasn't the religion, going to church or being a good boy. It was like I felt something coming to my house, and I can't explain it to this day, but I believe that it was Christ doing something in me. This life I've discovered is so real. I'm so glad I've never walked away from Christ like many have, and I never will. That brings us to the first part of this episode, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Yeah, and Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that was in John 14. And In John 14, where Jesus tells the disciples that God would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, he told them that he would send him to teach you all things and to bring to your remembrance all that he had said to them. And earlier in the same passage, verse 17, Jesus told the disciples that they would know the Holy Spirit because he will dwell within you and will be with you. So the first thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit is that although he's been active from the very beginning of time, 
He now lives inside those who have accepted God's gift of salvation and are now walking the path of sanctification towards glorification or glory. And the first part of the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer is to remind us and teach us about the words of God that we find in the Bible. So David, King David, the writer of Psalms, wrote, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. In fact, where he wrote that in Psalms 119 is all about David being reminded of God's word, his testimonies, his laws, his commandments, and why? So that he wouldn't commit any sin against God. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to remind us of those things so that we can do no wrong but walk in his ways. And that leads us to another important role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that's to convict us of sin. For Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. That's right. But, you know, before we can really understand what it is to be convicted of sin or what it means to be convicted, we really need to know what it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To be convicted of sin isn't simply to have a guilty conscience or even feel shame over sin, because everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, we all feel guilt when we do something wrong. That's Mm -hmm. why we know we've done something wrong. That's why children know they've done something wrong. You know, it's just part of us. And it isn't a sense of trepidation or the foreboding of divine punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just simply knowing right from wrong. Those are very simplistic ways of, of understanding feeling guilt. But it's not about conviction. That's not what conviction means. No, the, the word convict is a translation from Greek word elencho. I believe that's how you say that, which means to convince someone of the truth, to reprove, to accuse, refute or even cross-examined like a witness. The Holy Spirit acts like a prosecuting attorney who exposes sin, reproves sinners, and convinces people that they need a Savior. When the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin, he represents the righteous judgment of God, and there is no appealing to the verdict. However, the Holy Spirit not only convicts people of sin, but he also brings them to repentance. Yeah. The Holy Spirit brings to light our relationship with God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit actually opens our eyes to the sin that's in our lives. And it opens our hearts at the same time to receive the grace that God offers us. And so naturally moving on from this role, uh, the Holy Spirit then leads us to truth. You know, in John 16, Verse 13, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. But what truth was Jesus talking about? Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit would come, he called him the spirit of truth, who would bear witness about me. In John's first letter to the church, he wrote, the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. And that's in 1 John 5 verse 7. The truth is the irrefutable nature of Jesus Christ, who he was and why he came. And the truth about Jesus to those who believe creates a desire to follow him in all that we do and everything we say. In John 8, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know truth and the truth will set you free. 
Yeah, and that's one of the really popular verses, isn't it? The truth will set you free. Yeah. And I just want to interject here too. Um, if we remember back to when Jesus was being uh, questioned by Pilate. Yeah. And uh, Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? Yeah. And that was kind of like the whole Roman thinking, right? What is truth? What is truth? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. Okay, so the other roles of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, um, he gives us eternal life. Uh, that's actually one that I had to think about for a little bit, because you know we're, we're taught that you know God gives us eternal life, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to the realization, like we said before, that we need the yeah. grace of God. He opens our hearts to receive it. Because unless the Holy Spirit does that work, we're not going to receive that grace and therefore inherit eternal life. So he does give us eternal life. He's our guarantee of salvation. Jesus said that, you know, he would come and he would dwell in us and we would know that he was with us and he would teach us truth. Those who have been saved by grace then have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And that also, like R.C. Sproul said, part of that role is the sanctification. Sanctification is just the ongoing work of continued work towards holiness until the point of glory, you know, heaven. And uh, and so that is uh, his it's a big work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us access to God. He intercedes for us. The God's word talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us and where we cannot find the words he finds the words he interprets for us he provides the words for us when we do, we can't find the words to express what we need to god yeah he makes us new by the renewing of our minds paul talks about you know renewing of your mind and that is again part of this role of sanctification which i think we probably will talk about at a different point in time like yeah what these words. He sanctifies us and enables us to produce good fruit in our lives. Again, there's that word sanctifies. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit unites us as believers. Yeah. Remember that quote that, that, that I mentioned at the beginning by Jonathan Edwards, where he says that the Holy Spirit is the bond of perfectness, or he is the glue of perfectness by which God, Christ, and the church are united together. The yeah. Holy Spirit is what is what bonds us together with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And he bonds us together as a church as well, as individual members of the, of the Church of Christ. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts that we use for the glory of God and the building up of the church. Commonly referred to as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are going to address these in a separate issue. Uh, we just found there was so much to talk about there that a separate issue like that should be in a different episode. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. It's it's a huge topic. But for now, I think what we're going to say about it is that it's the Holy Spirit who decides who gets what gifts. And not everyone receives the exact same gifts or the same sort of amount of gift. Yeah, and I think if people want to double check that out before that episode, uh, you can just go to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, yeah. where Paul kind of launches into that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, now, there is a question that has been asked, and it's a question that you and I have talked about prior to this podcast. Is the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. Yeah. He dwells within us. Is there ever 
a time when the Holy Spirit is not with us? You know, that's a good question, and it's not a new question. Back in the third century, there was a Christian writer by the name of Afrahat. He wrote a book called The Demonstrations, talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit was known to leave or not be found in individuals who had received him. Mm, So Afrahat has a few examples. The first one is found in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, where we read the Holy Spirit had departed from Saul. So Saul was the first king of Israel. I remember that. I remember this this portion. Anyway. Yeah, and Afrahat, he says, the Holy Spirit, which he, or Saul, had received when he was anointed, departed from him, because he had grieved it, and God sent to him, instead of it, a vexing spirit. And whenever he was afflicted by the evil spirit, David used to play upon his harp. And the Holy Spirit, which David received when he was anointed, would come, and the evil spirit that was vexing Saul would flee from before it. The second example that Afrahat has in his book is, is from uh, Psalms 51, verse 11. I think we're all familiar with this verse. King David asks of God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And this is a response to his sins. He had had an affair with Bathsheba. He had orchestrated the murder of her husband, Uriah. When Afrahat says, the Holy Spirit had been with David always, but had it been with him at this time, it would not have allowed him to sin with the wife of Uriah. And that, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion that can follow something like that, talking yeah. about being allowed to sin. But this is part of the third century Christian thought, talking about yeah. the, the Holy Spirit. The third one that Afrahat talks about is the story of Elisha in his prophecy in 2 Kings verse, uh, 3, verse 16, uh, regarding the Valley of Trenches. I don't know if you remember that story or not, but Afrahat writes, concerning Elisha, it is thus written that while he played upon his harp, the spirit came to him and he prophesied and said, thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind nor rain, yet this valley shall be made many pits. And the implication in this verse is that the spirit was not continually with Elisha, but came and went as needed. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, and when you were reading that one section from Psalm 51 about uh, David's sin against Bathsheba and also against Uriah, it kind of brings to mind, well, I wonder about his son Solomon, because, you yeah. know, the, the Holy Spirit was upon Solomon. Yeah. But as we know, Solomon uh, turned aside from the ways of the Lord. He, you know, mm-hmm. he ran after the gods of his wives. And I wonder if that would be considered another occasion where the Holy Spirit left him. Samson might be another good example, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Samson would be a, a very good example, I think. Yeah. Now, well, the last of they really talk about, though, is it? No, it isn't. It's, it's almost, well, there's a lot of things about the Holy Spirit that we seem not to talk about. <laughs> Which brings us to the last topic that we wanted to address in this episode. Um, and again, this is one that you haven't, well, in my experience, I haven't really heard it spoken about in churches. I haven't heard it taught in churches. I haven't heard it taught in seminary. But the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, there is sections in the bible or especially the new testament which talks about blaspheming the holy spirit what is that all about yeah so you know part of the problem i think nowadays in our churches we always talk about god being love as if we can do anything we want and god's just going to pour down this love this 
idea of unconditional love means I can do anything I want, and in the end, God will love me because God will love me. There's a caveat to a, a statement like that. It's not really well understood. It's certainly not something that we talk about because it causes us to become uncomfortable. Now, the biblical premise for this argument is found in a couple of verses. And I think we need to remember that every one of the verses I'm going to read were words of Jesus. Okay, These, these aren't words of the apostles or, or words of Paul. This is Jesus speaking here. So Luke 12, verse 10. Jesus says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Matthew 12, verse 31 32. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And what, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Last one that I'm going to read, Mark 3, verses 29 to 30. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So Jesus was being accused of being filled with an unclean spirit. And didn't the, the Jewish leaders did that a few times? They did. You know, they, yeah. they accused him of casting out uh, demons or evil spirits by the devil himself. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so that unbelief there. Each of these verses uh, that you quoted, um, like you said, they are the words of Jesus. And they state very clearly that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will result in an eternal and unforgivable sin. And it's a sin that will not be forgiven in this lifetime or in the next life. But this historical understanding has experienced change in more recent times. And this change occurred primarily uh, during the time of the Puritans in the 17th century. Jonathan Edwards would be considered one of the Puritans. Yeah. And during that time, the teaching regarding blasphemy against the Holy Spirit showed that it was a definite sin. It was a definite existential moment in a person's life when they said no to the gospel or no to the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In most today's uh, theological centers, you will find that the view of sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is considered to be unbelief. That the only sin which cannot be forgiven is one of unbelief. Yeah. And this interpretation suggests that when you face the judgment seat of God and you do not believe, then there is no forgiveness and that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. That's quite a change from where the Puritans were to where we are today. Absolutely. In fact, I might actually use the term liberal. It has the, the flavoring of, of liberalism. You yeah. know, we don't like to be so hard-lined. Let's just kind of, let's whitewash it just a little bit. Yeah. Just make it a little bit gentler. Yeah. But that idea of, you know, the unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit, or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is just general unbelief. Yeah. It might have some traction based on what you might read or what we do read in the book of Revelations. Uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 18, we talk about the act of blasphemy against God by the beast. Yeah. However, the Puritan theology really does fit more closely with what we read in Scripture 
the scriptures that you had just read. So I would yeah. tend to follow the Puritans explanation. Again, it just sounds more, it's more biblical in, yeah. in my opinion. You know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is something that we do, right, during the course of our lives rather than some final act on the day of judgment. Remember what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit happens when the person of Jesus Christ is revealed by the Holy Spirit, then that person accuses him, the Holy Spirit, of being a devil. That goes back, that goes back to the, the verse you read from, uh, from Mark 3 and yeah. 29, yeah. where they accused him of having, a Holy, uh, having an evil spirit. Yeah, and I don't know whether anybody ever does that, but we ought to get away from what the very root meaning of blasphemy is, a verbal act. You yeah. know, it's... It, you say what's in your heart, right? Yeah. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, The Lord will hold him guilty, he who blasphemes his name. Or in the words of R.C. Sproul, if you do that, you're toast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, R.C. had a way with words, didn't he? <laughs> he sure did, yeah. Thinking of an example or a story from the Bible that would fit um, would be the story of Esau. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Hebrews 12 and 17, we read, You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. So Esau couldn't do it. Yeah. He could not find in his heart genuine repentance. Even though he, we read that he sought it with tears, yeah. his heart was hardened against God, and he had such a love for the world. In fact, he had so much love for the world that he was willing to trade his inheritance for some lunch. Yeah. And so he could find no place of genuine repentance. He was sorry, sure. but he wasn't repentant. Yeah. Uh, and so he perished and his tears were not tears of repentance. They were tears of remorse. Yeah. And those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. So Esau himself could not repent. And that is a very prominent example mm -hmm. of of the blaspheming against the holy spirit yeah you know and i think a good way to end this intense series on the holy spirit would be to quote part seven for the mennonite confession of faith it says this we believe that christ as lord and savior does his work through the holy spirit the holy spirit convicts of sin through the holy spirit those who believe are born again the supreme ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lead men to Christ and his salvation. As Christians, yield to Christ and obey his word. The Holy Spirit transforms them into the spiritual image of Jesus Christ and enables perseverance in faith and holiness. He empowers them as effective witnesses to Jesus Christ and his salvation, fills their hearts with love for all men, and moves them to practice Christian discipleship. The Holy Spirit bestows upon every believer such gifts as he wills for the building up of the body of Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership of the Christian believer. He is God's guarantee that he will also redeem the bodies of believers on the day of Christ. Absolutely. That's a really good way to summarize it. Yeah. And 
I know some people may say, well, there's so much more you guys could have said. Yeah. And um, there is, there is so much more we could say about the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. I mean, that itself could be a complete, that could be a two-part episode yeah. in on its own, you know? And, and, um, and like we said, we're going to do a separate episode about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that topic is foundational, yeah. but it's also very controversial. And mm-hmm. it's what been one that has created a lot of division um, in churches, mm-hmm. in denominations. And we want to make sure that we uh, approach that topic with, with grace and love mm-hmm. because, you know, you and I both have, we have our opinions um, and we try and root all of our opinions in, in the Bible. But we grew up with probably different opinions, you know, oh, yeah. and so it's 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 an interesting way to approach it when you're providing it um, to another audience. Yeah. So let's pray before we uh, close this episode. Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to share what we have learned about the Holy Spirit with people out there uh, in different parts of the world. Um, We want to thank you for blessing us with insight uh, to provide the information in a way that is with grace and with love. Mm -hmm. And we just ask that you will bless this podcast and bless the work that's being done as it goes out across uh, the world to different people and bless all those listeners who um, take time out to download, to listen to, and to support the work that's being done through Telius Talk. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know there's going to be something special next month. Got a lot of work to do between now and then. <laughs> yeah, we but, do. <laughs> uh, this has been good. A lot of learning in, in this episode for myself. There you go. The Holy Spirit. And uh, just to let listeners know uh, to watch out for the Telius Talk website. It is in the works. I'm just trying to learn how to use the software. Um, <laughs> and my brain is not as young as it used to be, so it takes me a little bit longer. So the, yeah. the website will be launched shortly, and we will notify you about that through Facebook and also um, through the next episode if it's launched by then. For sure. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Ali. This has been good. Looking forward to next month. Absolutely. Thank you, Wendell. And we will talk to you guys next month. You bet. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to visit our Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube sites. We are always happy to visit and answer questions. Our Facebook page has discussions, articles, and links to the topics we discuss monthly. Keep us in your prayers as we prepare our podcast every month. Next month, we will be talking about Christ's return with special guest, Pastor Josh Mitchell. We look forward to sharing with you again. Do we believe what we believe we believe?